Welcome to this Labor Day weekend edition of Second City Sports Zoom Style. Zoom Style? <laughs> Along with my co-host, creator, and founder <laughs> of Second City Sports Radio Show Now Podcast, Miss Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. You can follow yours truly on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. And you can download this podcast along of our other uh, great program from We Are Regal Radio. Uh, you can download uh, Anchor, which kicks you over to Spotify and all your other download uh, podcast platforms. And you can download that iHeartRadio app. We're on iHeartRadio. Just type in your search engine box on that iHeartRadio app. War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor. You can catch this lovely program, Second City Sports, along with our other program from We Are Regal Radio. You can follow me at Keenan Keenan McGee on Twitter at Keenan underscore McGee on the Instagram. And don't forget, we're also on YouTube. So you can, you can uh, subscribe and listen to our lovely face. Look at our lovely faces um, from all the Voila. shows. Yeah. <laughs> from all the shows, you know, on War on Anchor. Just go on War on Anchor. And it's all right there on the YouTube search box. So you can watch us too. So subscribe, folks. <laughs> and for our first segment for, for this weekend's podcast, we welcome back friend of the show, He's a sports anchor and reporter and former score host from back in the day. He's the governor, a.k.a. Dave Kerner. He's from News Radio 780, 105.9 WBBM. Dave, welcome back to the program. How are you today? I'm doing fine, thank you. It's been, uh, what, I guess about a year since we did this. It's great to see your faces, though, now. It's one of the advantages of Zoom here. Exactly. Yes. Love it. Where can people find you on social media? They can find me at, at Dave Kerner, simply enough, on uh, Twitter. And uh, Facebook, you can find me as well. All right. Let's get this started as we kick around the Chicago sports landscape. We'll start off with the Chicago Bears exactly one week until the regular season starts for our Monsters of the Midway as they'll take on the Detroit Lions in their season opener in fourth field in Motown. Dave, one of the hot topics we'll get into as far as the Bears are concerned is that quarterback position, Mitchell Trubisky versus Nick Foles, whoever you talk to, some people say it's Nick Foles should be the starter. Others may say Trubisky. Me personally, I say it's going to be Trubisky because head coach Matt Nagy, but in particular GM Ryan Pace, they don't want to leave with eggs on their faces. They want to leave all the stones turned to see if Mitchell Trubisky is the guy, only because they did not pick up his fifth-year option. Who do you believe will be the Bears' starting quarterback next Sunday in Motown? Well, I guess if I'm making the decision today, uh, I'm going with Nick Foles, even though he really is coming into this situation obviously a lot more blind than he would have if it was a normal offseason and OTAs and whatnot. I guess I would uh, lean towards the experience and, and the past winnings, if you will, uh, for him. Um, but, you know, the Bears could go, Sydney, exactly as, as you believe they will. Uh, you know, Trubisky, they didn't offer him the fifth-year option. Essentially, he's, he's got one year. He's got this season to prove himself. So how can he do that if he doesn't play? But on the other hand, if you're the Bears coming off 8-8, eight and eight, when it, there was a lot more promise there, and uh, in these situations, you're asking yourself, okay, how, how do you get off to the proper start? Uh, what would be the best way to get some solid footing right away? Why not with that experienced hand at quarterback? Uh, that would be the way I would go. But 
you know what? That room is probably divided 50-50, and it's going to be Matt Nagy's call ultimately, and I couldn't even tell you which way he's going because he's not tipping his hand. <laughs> well, I, I wonder that does he even know what, you know, what, what direction is going, or he's just probably doing this intentionally to throw everybody off. That's part of it. Uh, he, he may have had his mind made up a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't, he doesn't want to give Detroit anything to work with through the week. I mean, it's going to be hard enough to prepare for these teams with no preseason games, uncertain rosters, the whole nine yards. Um, but if you can even throw that extra element of, okay, uh, if you think you're going to prepare for a certain quarterback, we're going to make you wonder whether it's going to be that guy or maybe the other guy. Uh, any little bit of gamesmanship, uh, I can see the Bears trying. And Nagy has already hinted that that's kind of the thinking by not trying to announce at this point who the, the starter is going to be. We may not even know who it's going to be literally until a week from Sunday. It may come down to – not that they don't know, they will know, but that it isn't going to get out until a week from Sunday. Staying with the Bears offense, Dave, of course, starting running back, a second-year man, David Montgomery, went down with a groin injury a couple of weeks ago. It looked gruesome watching it on social media. They're going to say he's going to – yeah, and he's going to be out two to four weeks, at least, at least the first two, maybe three games of the regular season. Of course, I was one of those people that uh, the Bears uh, should have picked up Leonard Fournette. Now he's been picked up by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, what are the, how do the Bears survive this running game in the first three weeks of the season? Frankly, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's dicey. Um, not that David Montgomery was going to be, you know, your 25 to 30 carry a game guy, but he was going to be your principal guy. So now you're, you know, you're asking uh, – you know, Tariq Cohen maybe to take on some more duties that, than he was supposed to. Uh, you know, you're asking a Ryan Nall to try to fit in. I just think you are apparently going to go with running back by committee. And, yeah, it might work for two or three games. Maybe that's their thinking, right? A uh, short-term solution is just to kind of hold the fort when it comes to the run game, and then you get Montgomery back. But, you know, even when he returns, given the kind of injury he had – it's not like he's going to be 100% right away. He's going to need time to get up to speed. So that two to three weeks, that could be more like five or six. Yeah, that the growing injuries can be very tricky. Um, yep. What's the defense? Do you think with hopefully Akeem Hicks can stay healthy? That was a big you know, problem right. last year. Do you think that the Bears could get back to me in that top 10, top five defense we've seen? Yeah, I, I think given the yeah, I think given the uncertain nature of this season and just how teams are probably scrambling to figure out, okay, what kind of personnel can we bank on week in and week out? I think the Bears can get back to that level, just given how the league is going to go. Um, you got to have Akeem Hicks healthy. There's no question. He was back on the field yesterday, Friday, for the first time in like 12 days. So the presumption is he's going to be well enough to go on opening day. You know, Robert Quinn, they've gone very, very easy with him in terms of, of giving him any kind of serious practice work or practice time. Uh, the presumption is he's going to be fine. We haven't heard anything out of Khalil Mack, so I suppose if we don't hear anything, that's good news. So for all intents and purposes, the main defensive weapons are going to be ready to go a week from Sunday. So if that's the case, if they can go full bore, yeah, this defense can, can get back to a level that it was at. Uh, a couple of years ago, even with the uncertainties that exist, uh, at least in the safety spots right now, and one of the cornerback spots. 
Yeah. Speaking of uh, one of the safety spots, Dave, uh, Ha Ha Clinton Dix, who helped out the Bears a year ago, he was signed by the Cowboys in the offseason. He was released a couple of days ago. Do you see the Bears kicking the tires on him, perhaps bringing him back, or they'll just, they, oh, they'll just say, well, uh, he did what he did, and we'll just move on to somebody else? Probably not kicking the tires right away. I think they are probably deciding, okay, what we've got in the defensive backfield Let's see how that shakes down from the start. So did we lose Dave? Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Okay. Yeah, I'll say, I think, can you repeat, can you repeat that thing? Because we lost you for a second. You okay. Oh, All go. right. Well, that's probably the that's probably the fault of my internet. Let me just say again, um, uh, I, I don't think that the Bears will go after Ha Ha Clinton Dix right away. Uh, I think they're going to see how their defensive backfield shapes up to start this season. If things don't go well, he's still on the street. Say three, four weeks, they might look at, at making a move then. But I think they want to go with what they have, feel good enough with what they have and see how that is. Uh, to me, a little different situation from the running back uh, part of the equation here. I, I think they could still use another running back. Leonard Fournette, I think, would not have been a bad pickup. I can only guess that from a salary cap point of view, they just decided that, that you know, even though he was on the street, uh, that that just wasn't going to work for him right away. Do you think the win, Do you think there'll be a difference in win totals depending on who starts? Um. Yeah, maybe the the win, as in like quarterback, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I I think whoever starts, um, the win total could be affected one or two. But I think always with win totals, even in 2020, especially in 2020, it's going to be more affected with guys that are hurt, and maybe guys that can't play because of COVID-19 situations. Uh, we haven't even, you know, factored that in yet. Fortunately, uh, the Bears have been really good as far as that's concerned, and hopefully it remains that way once the season gets going and they play games. And they get a, into a routine where these guys, you know, are maybe out and about a little bit, and then they get back to the practice facility. So if we assume that they stay with how they've been, um, yeah, I think, you know, an adjustment to a starter here and there can have a bit of an impact on the one-loss record. But to me, it is more the injuries and it's more the guys that can't play because of COVID. Dave Kerner, sports anchor reporter from Bears Radio, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM, WBBM, is joining us here on Second City Sports, along with Lakina McGee, I am Sydney Brown. Let's go back to that Bears offense, Dave. Allen Robinson, two years ago, he was coming out that torn ACL from Jacksonville. He had a nice impact, especially in that playoff game against Philadelphia. Last year, he had his first 1,000-yard season as a, as a Chicago Bear. Now, this year, in year three, he's looking for a contract extension. Uh, what do you expect out of Mr. Robinson for year three? I expect a, a Pro Bowl season out of him, no, no matter who's the quarterback. As long as whichever quarterback can get him the ball with some regularity, yeah, I think a Pro Bowl season is not out of the question. Injuries can get in the way. They've been a little bit of a problem for him here and there, but nothing serious. Um, he's going to be the number one guy, period, this season. I mean, yeah, maybe the, the two Georgia kids, uh, Ridley and Wims, can, can make a, a more of an impact. Hopefully they will. 
But this is going to be Allen Robinson's show, I think, when it comes to the passing game. And if he stays healthy and does what he's capable of doing, no reason why it can't be a Pro Bowl year for him. How worried are you about the O-line? Still have a few question marks there. Um, yeah, I'm a bit concerned. Uh, not, not overly so. I think the concern may be more with the depth. Uh, you know, are they going to sort out the right side, for example? Is, is that going to be okay? Will Bobby Massey be able to hold up uh, at a tackle spot if he's got to play regularly? Um, I would call the medium-range questions. I wouldn't call the major questions. But regardless, that line has got to play a lot better and be a lot more cohesive than last season because, let's face it, who's ever quarterbacking, <laughs> that guy has got to stay upright. You, you've got to keep people off of him. Uh, if they can't do that, uh, it's going to be a long, long season, especially for the offense to try to really generate anything and do what Matt Nagy would like them to do if uh, that O-line can't protect. Yeah, speaking of another position on that offense, the tight end position has been a problem for the Bears in, like forever. They yeah. selected Cole Komet uh, out of the tight end out of Notre Dame. And of course, they brought in Jimmy Graham, the veteran right. from Green Bay. Uh, what do you expect out of those two tight ends? Do you think they'll have a big impact, or, or, or are we going to uh, repeat the same story over again? Uh, I, I think they're very capable of having a big impact, but for, for two things. First of all, Jimmy Graham's got to be healthy. You know, uh, if, he can't, if he can't reliably start for you maybe somewhere in the 11 to 15 game range, I'm not sure how effective he can be. Cole Komet, you know, he's a rookie. He's got to learn. Uh, early signs look good, but again, this is without having a lot of real serious padded practices and no preseason games. So all these rookies, I mean, they're all under that kind of a gun. It's like you've got to perform in the regular season. You don't even get a preseason game to try to get your feet wet. So I'll give Cole Komet and really any rookie the benefit of the doubt if they don't get off to a flying start in, in this regular season. So that, I guess, from the tight end perspective, that's where Jimmy Graham's got to come in. He's got to be good to go right off the bat and give the Bears a lot of, of nice games, particularly in the passing game, uh, at least in the first half of the season. If he can do that, then maybe Cole Komet gets back up to speed, and then you've got yourself even another weapon in the offense. Where do you think the Bears measure up in the NFC North? Do you look at the Packers? They may take a step back. The Vikings are like they're going for. Then the Lions, you know, some people are saying the Lions might be yeah. a surprise this year. Sure. This could be a division where everybody is like eight and eight, nine and seven, ten and six. Or somebody, <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, really emerges. Maybe the Vikings have made the right moves and they emerge and all of a sudden they look like 13 and three and everybody's trying to catch them. Uh, maybe Aaron Rodgers, who it sounds like has got this huge chip on his shoulder now, maybe he has like a career year and carries the Packers to 12 and 4, 13 and 3. So I think it's as likely you're going to have four teams in the 8 to 10 win range as you are maybe that one team at 13 and 3 and everybody else looking to catch. Um, I think in the Bears' case, if things fall right, you know, I don't think the, the expectations will be as high as they were this time of year ago. But in terms of like, hey, a 10-win team, a playoff team, that could certainly happen for them. Let's switch over to baseball now. Let's talk about both our teams in the city. We'll start out with the south side first. Of course, people watching exclusively, I have my 
Jose Abreu jersey is behind me, your <laughs> AL front runner for MVP. Uh, the White Sox are 23-15 and 15 as of this broadcast. They got back on track on Thursday, defeating Kansas City 11-6. But earlier in the week, they had a blimp at Minnesota, losing two out of three against the Twins at Target Field. Dave, I want to ask you, even despite uh, losing the season series to the Twins, do you believe that this White Sox team is a playoff team, given the expansion of the playoff field this year? Yeah, I, I think because of the expansion, that gets the White Sox in. Um, the fact is they're still 4-8 and eight against the Twins and the Indians, and I think they still have eight games against those two teams before the end of the season. So if they can even split those and, say, end up, what, 8-12, and 12, uh, that certainly, plus what they've done against everybody else, you know, to the White Sox credit, they're beating the teams they ought to beat. So they continue to do that, maybe stack a few more wins up against the Indians and um, the Twins with what's left of the season, more than good enough to make the playoffs. Now, it's going to be a wild card. You know, maybe they're looking, maybe, ironically, <laughs> they could be looking at the AL Central winner, you know, to play in the first round. But in a best-of-three format, who knows what can happen. So, yeah, for sure, I think the White Sox are a playoff team as of today. I mean, how impressive has Luis Robert been? I mean, he just hit another home run last night. I think it's still effortless. But, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's he's just been amazing. I mean, what do you think about his play? Yeah. It seems like everything that guy does just comes so easy. And this is a 23-year-old rookie. I mean, uh, imagine these these numbers and the kinds of things he's doing. Imagine that over 162 and what that could look like as a rookie. Uh, It'd be unbelievable. But as it is, you know, he's already a cornerstone. He covers all kinds of ground in center field. I mean, his, his defense is great. Uh, and, I mean, his hitting, my goodness, his, his instincts, his ability to, to pick pitches and just hit where he wants, it's uncanny, really. Um, you know, my, I, I've got a son who's a White Sox fan, and we were talking this morning about them and about the fact that the Cardinals – Really wanted in on Luis Robert when he when he had a chance to be signed by a major league club, and they came up about a million bucks short. You know, imagine had they spent that extra million and they signed the guy. I mean, they'd be reading about him in St. Louis. So, it's outsides gain. Um, if he avoids injury, he's going to be a stud for a long, long time, and he's as much a cornerstone as anybody on this ball club right now. Speaking of another young star, let's go to Elo Jimenez. I call him on Twitter, Must See TV. He's Must See TV at the play ball on left field. He is, but not for any good reason. I said personally, if I'm the if I'm the manager, I will make him my permanent DH right now. In reality, I don't think that's going to happen. How soon do you think that the White Sox brands can come to reality if they have a new field manager or not? Uh, they'll say, Elo Jimenez just is not getting it done in left field. Let's Put them right. in as your permanent DH. Will it be next year, two years from now? How do you yeah. see it? Uh, that's, that's, that's one of the really good questions going forward. Um, you know, one good thing about having Robber in center, he covers so much ground, he actually maybe makes up for some deficiencies for Eloy when it comes to, like, covering the gaps. Uh, in that regard, maybe it puts a decision off like that for a year or two in terms of, okay, do we want to make him the full-time DH? Because – Andrew Vaughn finds a way to, to make this ball club on a regular basis. You know, how does that fit in? Because you've got another power hitter here. I, I don't think you want Vaughn as a DH, but 
it could be, I mean, given that Abreu is showing no signs of slowing down, it could be that Andrew Vaughn has put off a couple of years when it comes to maybe playing first base, uh, maybe being a corner infielder. I'm told that they've actually tried looking at him of late in the Schomburg camp in right field. So, you know, all that, all that factoring in, maybe it means that Eloy's got to stay out in left field a little while longer. But I would not be surprised if, say, 18 months from now, that's a decision that they've got to think about. Okay, do we want to make him a full-time DH or not? Let's talk about the Sox pitching. I mean, Giolito's been amazing. Dallas Keiko, turns out that pickup was great. How concerned are you with that back end? Well, concerned enough that uh, while it, I think the signs are pretty good for Dylan Cease and pretty good for Dane Dunning, those are just signs right now. they got to emerge a little more. Um, I wonder if the ship is sailing on Ronaldo Lopez. I think going down to Schaumburg was a step back, even though he had just come off an injury and it was just a couple of starts for him. I think they're, they're maybe reassessing that situation. Uh, we don't know about Michael Kopech in 2021. You know, you'd like to think that uh, his mind is right, that he's ready to contribute physically as far as we know he is, but we don't know that. You've got to see what happens. So to that end, you can't bank on that. And you certainly can't bank on Carlos Rodon as much of a gamer he is coming back from one injury after another and trying to contribute. So a bit of concern on the back end, but I think there's at least enough options that you might look at that and say, okay, out of all those guys, and maybe even if they go into the free agent market this winter, they're going to find, say, two decent options as, three and, as starters three and four for them. Let's stick back to the, uh, the field of play, Dave, uh Tim Anderson, he is, it looks like he's the face of the franchise. He, he, may, he may not be their best player, but it looks like uh, from what we see that he embraces being the face, not only for the new generation of, of baseball players and fans alike, but he really brings a swag on, onto the field and to the clubhouse as well. Talk about his, his impact because on the field, he's doing better than he did a year ago hitting the baseball, and now uh, that power is starting to come last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh, you know what, he, he's a bit of a hit machine. He's obviously got a flair when he's on the field. Uh, he's not the Kansas City Royals' best friend. We know that. But I, <laughs> the guy, the guy, uh, he just exudes positivity. The guy is positive about, about everything. I mean, he's not even down on the fact that it's only a 60-game season and we got COVID going and our guy's going to get sick. He doesn't even factor that into his day-to-day -day attitude in terms of how he wants to play the game and how he wants, you know, to bond with his teammates and, and make it a winning season. Um, he is plowing through that. He's, he's getting hits. Uh, it's, it's obviously not just home runs and production. Uh, he's probably going to be the leadoff man for some time to come. You know, he was, he was a little ticked off a few weeks ago when it was suggested, you know, maybe Robert ought to be the leadoff hitter and you ought to mm -hmm. bat where maybe Ricky had him at times last season in the seven hole or whatever. It's like, wait a minute, I'm the leadoff guy. He's proving it to a T, leave him alone, let the positivity rain down on the other guys on that ball club. And you got no problems with, with uh, Tim Anderson being a face of this franchise for a while. Dave, let's go to the north side of town for a second. The Cubs, unfortunately, couldn't get the sweep against Pittsburgh. But the one thing that has helped them is that the other teams 
around them in their division have you know have been kind of up and down as well. They got a big five gamer against the Cardinals. Where do you see the Cubs and can they hang on in the NL Central? Uh, I think they can. Uh, it doesn't seem like anybody in the division is is prepared to really make a serious run. I don't know if the Cardinals are that team, though I think they're the most equipped. The Brewers, they're not in turmoil, but, you know, they had a regular everyday first baseman that they designated for assignment a couple of days ago in Justin Smoke. So they're not happy with their everyday lineup. Um, the Cubs, you know, benefited getting off to a great start. And I think they're sort of playing 500 ball through the rest of the season. And that's good enough for the playoffs and probably good enough to win the NL Central. I don't know how far they can go in the playoffs. They certainly need a healthy Chris Bryant. Uh, he says he is. He's got to prove it now. Uh, the Ian Happ injury yesterday in Pittsburgh, hopefully that's not a setback for them because they really need that guy. Um, I think the Cubs have enough to be a playoff team, at least from the standpoint of, of as a division winner because the rest of the NL Central I don't think is going to really get its act together in what little time is left in this regular season. So Cubs good enough to be in the playoffs. How far they can go is a good question. Uh, I think you can worry a little bit about the starting pitching. Kyle Hendricks has not quite been the Kyle Hendricks of old. John Lester is certainly not the John Lester of old. You Darvish has been a stud. He's the number one pitcher. Uh, you do have to wonder maybe how far of a lead the Cubs would have in the NL Central right now without you, Darvish. It, it might be a lot tighter. We might be looking at that whole division and saying, oh, all you got to do is finish two, three, four games above 500, and it's good enough to win it. Uh, speaking of the injuries, Dave, of course, that's one of the situations that the Cubs are going through right now. Of course, the bullpen has been another big issue all season long with inconsistency. With that being said, what grade would you give David Ross, the first-year manager? Um, I give him a B. Uh, I, I, I think he has he's done some good things. I think one thing he's done, which uh, you got to pay attention to, I believe, he has not had Craig Kimbrell out there so often that he's given him maybe more than enough chances, quite frankly, to fail, and then the Cubs lose games. He's gone to Jeremy Jeffress as the closer. I think he's, he's big, not saying it. He's basically decided this, this is going to be my guy to get three outs in the ninth. And uh, I think that was the right call at this stage. Now, maybe Kimbrell is going to find the form that he had two, three years ago. It's <laughs> not me, even though yesterday he looked pretty good. I guess, what, I think he threw the eighth inning uh, yeah. against the yeah. Pirates. Looked, looked like the Kimbrell of old. But you know what? That's the eighth inning of a game against the Pirates. You need to see him in the ninth inning of a game against the Cardinals and see him nail it down and, and feel better about that. But I think going to Jeffress is the closer. Good call. Um, letting you Darvish maybe last a little longer than Joe Madden might in starts. Also a good call. I give him a B. You know, David Ross, he knows pitchers. He knows, he knows how they are. He knows how they can be. You know, he's not because John Lester is his buddy. He's not going to say, Hey, let, let's let him work another inning or two and see if he can work something out. If things aren't going well, he's going he's gonna to pull him. And uh, I think David Ross has made those kinds of decisions for the most part correctly uh, so far this season. Do you like their chances to go far in the playoffs or no? Um, well, as a division winner, you know, you, you could see them in a best of three first round and get by. I don't know if they can go much further than that. Um, I'm not sure they've got the all-round depth and makeup to 
make a serious run, say, at a National League pennant. Now, they made quite a few moves at the trade deadline. Um, whether they pan out remains to be seen. I think along the lines like uh, Ronaldo Lopez heading to Schomburg, I think Albert Almora Jr. going to South Bend is not a good development for the Cubs. Uh, not that they relied on him, but I'm sure they felt they needed him as defensive depth. Uh, also a guy who could give you a couple of quality at-bats in a game if you needed it. And right now they don't have that confidence in him to maintain that. So he's not, he's not on the major league roster. You know, they had to make room for Cameron Maben and uh, uh, their guy from Tampa in the deal, you know, as far as major league roster spots. So, yeah, I think they can win around. I'm not sure how much further they can go beyond that, though. Dave Kerner of News Radio 780 105.9 WBBM FM Bears Radio join us here on Second City Sports along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Dave, let's go on to the hardwood right now in the Chicago Bulls. Of course, fans didn't show up this season consistently. Of course, Bulls management tried to lie about the attendance figures. And of course, we all saw it with our own eyes that fans were not showing up. That they had enough, of course. Uh, guard packs are out. Arturis Konishevis is in. Mark Eversley, your new GM, is also in as well. Uh, of course, as of this recording, they are currently searching for a new head coach. If you were in uh, Konishevis' shoes right now, what kind of head coach would you pick for this kind of team that they have right now? Well, you know, that's so dependent on what the team is going to look like when they start next season. Not that the Bulls are necessarily going to be wheeler dealers, but mm -hmm. I think I – think, uh, you know, AK is probably, and, and you know he's talking with, with Mark Eversley. I mean, I'm sure they've had a lot of conversations and have come to a meeting of the minds in terms of, okay, what style of team do we want? Um, and I think to that end, that's the kind of coach they're going to find. Now, does that mean uh, you find a coach and he doesn't mesh with the talent that's on hand? Or do you find that coach and you say, okay, the three of us now, the management and the coach, we're of the same mind in terms of the type of team we need to be. Now we need to go change the team. I think that might be what you see. So as a result, maybe a couple of pieces for whatever reason that don't quite fit with their philosophy for this next season. But it takes time to make those kind of changes. So I think patience is going to be the watchword. The kind of team we're going to see, I don't know. You know, um, we know about these guys as, as management types, but only from the point of view of how they were part of the teams that they came from, you know, uh, not what their thinking is, not what they're going to do. I think we got a lot of unanswered questions going forward here. You know, is Zach Levine going to still be around? I'm going to assume he is. Uh, Lori Markinen, I assume he's still going to be around. I think it may well be a case of, look, We'd like to make a change or two. We certainly would like to get a, a good player at four in the draft, which you would like to think they can. Uh, but what kind of a team is this going to be? How much different is it going to be from a, from a Jim Boylan team? I don't think we really know that, and I don't think these guys are really going to know that until they truly see what they have and they actually start playing games again. Because think about it. In terms of playing games, say they play a couple of preseason games, if you will, in November. I mean – Goodness, that's, that's a ridiculous amount of time since they last played any kind of competitive basketball. Yeah. Yeah. And they will have as many questions, I think, as the fans do in terms of, okay, what do we have here? What do we really think they can do? And what kind of changes do we have to make for them to be a playoff team? Because right now that's about all you can ask is that this team is good enough that 
you know, they're an eighth place team in the East. Do you think they stay at four? Do they trade back? Um, I think if they trade back, Lakina, uh, to me, they would still have to be looking at two first round picks this year, you know, and not necessarily, oh, we'll take uh, an eight and a 25 or something like that. And I don't know all the trade scenarios out there, to be honest with you. Um, so if they trade back, they don't want to trade back very far from four. I think they're probably going to try to stick to four and feel good enough that whoever is there is somebody that should be a relatively solid contributor right, right from the first season. Not necessarily a starter, but certainly somebody that's going to give you minutes and meaningful minutes right off the bat. Sticking with basketball, Dave, let's go to the broader uh, NBA as, we, as the playoffs are uh, going on right now in the second round. Of course, I had the Lakers over, over Philadelphia uh, in the title this year. Of course, Philadelphia's out. The Lakers will face uh, the Rockets this weekend in the second round. In the East, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, are picked by many to represent the East in the NBA Finals. What, do you, my question, the, what do you think of that choice now? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I had my questions about Milwaukee all year long. Of course, they're now down 12 to the Miami Heat. I don't like I like Giannis, but I don't like I do not like the rest of that roster. They don't have a second yeah. go-to guy. Chris Milton is nice, but I don't. The rest of that roster looks nice, but they're just not really battle tested. And I really don't like their head coach either. Do you think Milwaukee makes it out of the East, or do you think Toronto or Miami will give them a run? Well, first of all, I think Jimmy Butler is almost willing Miami into beating Milwaukee. You know, can yeah. <laughs> for a couple of more games. I think there's every chance he can. You know, the word that all of a sudden you start hearing when it's associated with the Bucks is soft. It's like, you know, it's like an element that you didn't think of because mm -hmm. you know, regular season, how much hard nose play do you need, right? If you're the Bucks, you ought to be able to grab. 40 wins in your sleep and then see if you can get yourself another 10, 15 or 20, you know, playing hard. Well, now the Bucks are facing uh, a Jimmy Butler who's probably very motivated to beat the reigning MVP in a series. I mean, tell me that doesn't inspire him to try to get Miami to, to, to win that series. Um, I think the Bucks are in real trouble, uh, but if anybody can get them back on track, it's certainly, uh, Giannis, uh, and, you know, I think it's a 50-50 proposition now whether the Bucks can even get out of that series and move on. If they do and they play Toronto, I think they can beat Toronto and win the East, but getting by Mr. Butler in Miami, that's another matter. How about the, how about our West? Do you think, do you think the West representative will be one of the teams from L.A. or can Houston or Utah sort of throw a wrench into that? Uh, I don't see Utah. Um, you know, Houston, <laughs> to me, they're, they're like a mirage in the desert, all right? <laughs> you're a mile away, you're dying of thirst, you're out in the middle of the sand, and this really good-looking paradise one mile away is right there for you. All I got to do is walk that mile, get to that paradise, I get my drink of water, and everything's good. And then you get there, and it vanishes. The, the Rockets strike me as that kind of a team, even with Westbrook. You know, even with James Harden doing the things he does, they strike me as that team that gets to a point where they almost tease you and then they can't go any further. And I think to that end, LeBron and the Lakers uh, can get by them. Um, 
you know, obviously Oklahoma City got dispatched. Utah is a very good, very solid team. I don't think they're as good as Houston, but I think, and, and, and I don't trust the Clippers either, quite frankly. I just don't. Um, I'm going to say the Lakers will get out of the West. So playing Houston, and I, I think they can beat Houston because they would just find, LeBron certainly would just find ways to, to get at the Rockets and wear them down. Last question from me, Dave. Let's go to that hockey. Let's do that hockey. It's just a wrap. <laughs> well, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks uh, qualified for that 2014 tournament. Of course, they got by the Edmonton Oilers in four games before falling to the Vegas Golden Knights in five. Right. Of course, uh, many Blackhawks fans have choice words for both head coach Jeremy Collinton and GM Stan Bowman. <laughs> do you see one or both keeping their jobs? Uh, is even though they did technically win a playoff series this year, sure. you see one of them losing their jobs, or are they both coming back for next season? No, I think I think they're both back. Um, it sounds like the ownership has got more than full confidence in Stan Bowman, uh, and I don't. And you know, Stan picked Jeremy Colleton, so he's not ready to give up on him yet. Especially uh, beating Edmonton in that in that uh, play-in series, I call it. I know it wasn't technically the Stanley Cup playoffs. Right. A best yeah. of five series against a high-powered offensive team, essentially in that team's building. And the Blackhawks, out, you know, they did the things that had to be done to win those games and win okay. that series. So Jeremy Colleton has Stan Bowman's confidence. Stan Bowman has the ownership's uh, owner's confidence. Uh, at least through next season, I think things are uh, as they are as far as that structure goes. Now, if they fall on their face, don't make the playoffs, take some steps back, you know, maybe make a decision on the goaltending that goes away from, from Corey Crawford and it flies in their face, then all bets are kind of off again, I think, a year from now. But right now, I think those two guys are, are on okay ground. Let's talk to the college gridiron for a second because yeah. you're seeing all, all this stuff. You got you know, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 have said that they're not going to play and all the weirdness is going on afterwards. The SEC, the ACC, and the yep. are going to go on. It's on the, it's yes. on the FCS. So, I, I mean, do, do you think there will be stoppage? Do you think that the teams that are playing can pull it off or the conferences are not playing? Yeah. Really? What do you think, Dave? Well, um, let's start with the conferences that aren't playing, the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. <laughs> Let me say this about the Big Ten. Um, I don't blame them for making the decision they made a few weeks ago to uh, postpone the fall season, but I don't think they can have it ready in the spring. I, I think logistically it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, for them to try to pull off the season in the spring. Now, they're talking about eight games and maybe starting Thanksgiving. I think that is realistically a better possibility for them than trying to play in the spring. So... There's a bit of face-saving going on from the Big Ten. I think they're getting a lot of blowback, obviously, because the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 are saying we're going to keep going. Now, whether those three conferences can play even 10 games and finish the season, I don't know. But those conferences are saying we're going to try. And to me, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to make the effort. If it's apparent that it can't be done and you have to call it off, and you called it off, but you've made a good faith effort to try to start the season. And uh, to that end, I think those power five type conferences, to me, they can keep players in bubbles, so to speak, and keep them away from possibilities of getting, getting COVID-19 and at least starting the season. So 
I'm glad that they tried to make it happen. Uh, it certainly doesn't look good for the Big Ten. I don't know what the Pac-12 is going to do. I don't know if they're going to try to play from Thanksgiving on either. But in the Big Ten's case, I think if they want to salvage any football in this coming academic year, they need to think about that eight-game schedule that would start in Thanksgiving and run through December. All right. That was Dave Kerner of News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM WBBM FM here in Chicago. That's Bears Radio. As the Bears will start next Sunday on that station against the Detroit Lions. I think coverage will start, I believe, at 9 a.m., correct, Dave? Correct. I assume. Okay. Yeah. Three-hour uh, so pregame. We'll, we'll, of course, have uh, the contest from Ford Field and uh, postgame as well. It's, it's, the NFL says full speed ahead for 2020, and so are we. All right, and we always full speed ahead here at Second City Sports. Thank you so much, Dave, for joining us here today. Great job, and let's do this again. Hopefully we'll be talking about a, a trip to the playoffs for our 2020 Chicago Bears. That would work for me. Thank you, people. It's been a pleasure. All right, All right Dave. Take care. Stay safe. Thank you. See you now. All right. Of course, that was Dave Kerner of News Radio and 780 105.9 FM WBBM. Uh, it's always great to have him on the show, Lakina. Drop, dropping jewels, as the kids would say, uh, <laughs> all top is covered in Chicago sports. I got a great idea. Let's take this 20-second timeout because we have another guest coming up. She's Maya Kyle, Sean and Maya in the morning, and she'll drop some more jewels on us on Chicago sports and other issues going around, around the sports world as well. You're listening to Second City Sports, Zoom style. Zoom style. Welcome back to this Labor Day weekend edition of Second City Sports, Zoom style. Zoom style. <laughs> Along <laughs> with my co-host, Miss Lakina McGee, I am Sydney Brown. You can follow yours truly on Twitter and Instagram, SCKid80. Once again, SIDKID80, that's S-I-D-K-I-D-80, that's S-I-D-K-I-D-80. You can catch this program along with other programming from We Are Regal Radio by going on to Anchor, which kicks you over to Spotify and all other uh, uh, podcast download platforms. And we're also on iHeartRadio. Please, please, please download the iHeartRadio app. Type in that search engine box, War on Anchor, that's W-A-R-R on Anchor. You can access... Second City Sports, along with our other programming as well. You can also follow us on YouTube. Go to War on Anchor on YouTube on a search on a search box, and you can subscribe and you can see our lovely faces and watch all the yeah, watch our watch all the shows <laughs> in addition to listening to them. And you can follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter and at Keena underscore McGee on the Instagram. And our guest for this segment is the co-host for Sean and Maya in the morning, along with Sean Sierra, is the lovely, the AKA Sports Chica, Miss <laughs> Maya Kai. Maya, welcome to the program. We finally got you here to yes. join us here today. How are yes. you? I'm good. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I've been waiting for such a long time, you guys. I'm, I'm really disappointed. Sorry. Now. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about no. that. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I enjoy it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And where can people find you on social media? 
Well, as you know, the Sports Zone Chicago, uh, I mean, Sean and Maya in the mornings are the Sports Zone Chicago. So it's a sports talk app, not a station. It's an app. So it's all things okay. sports, Chicago sports. You can find that in iTunes, Google Play, as well as the Amazon store. You can follow me. Um, if you're an Instagrammer, you can find me at Maya underscore Akai and Facebook and Twitter at The Sports Chica. All right. Let's start this segment off with Chicago baseball. Let's go to the south side. For those of you watching exclusively, I have my Jose Abreu jerseys behind me. Yes, he does. <laughs> he is the front runner for the AL MVP. That's right. I said it. Shout out Michael Bazer. <laughs> let's, start off, let's start off with the White Sox. They are 23-15, and 15, eight games above 500. There haven't been uh, this many games above 500 since 2012, which they blew that divisionally against the Tigers. But that's a whole other issue. But going to today in 2020, they're in second place in the AL Central trailing the Cleveland Indians, still hanging on to second place above Minnesota. They got back on track on Thursday with an 11-6 victory over Kansas City, but they had a stumbling block against the Minnesota Twins. Maya, I ask you, do you believe that the White Sox are currently a playoff take, even though they have their struggles this year against Cleveland and Minnesota? Here's the thing. I absolutely believe they're a playoff team. Now, what I think people have to differentiate is that they're not going to necessarily be a World Series contender. There's a distinct mm-hmm. difference because of the expanded um, playout format that MLP put in place. It's going to give them an opportunity. Pretty much, they only have to win. It was five games before last night, four games to pretty much punch their ticket mm-hmm. to the postseason. So, with that being said, if they can't win, what there's like what 23 games left in the season, I think. If yeah. they yes. can't win four more games, then we can subscribe to the fire Ricky Renteria thought because they should yeah. be able to pull off four more. <laughs> Let's just be honest about it. Um, and I'm a Southsider. I mean, not a Southsider. I am a Southsider fan. Um, But the key thing is that, yes, they're going to be a playoff team. The question is, what are they going to look like in the playoffs? Um, One thing I think is really unique about this season, you have to keep in mind that Rick Hahn flat out said that 2021 was more of the year, but we kind of had a fast Mm -hmm. track. Um, he actually went out and picked up some of those veteran pieces that were needed. He picked up, you know, Dallas Keiko, who, by the way, in 2019, when Keiko and Krimble were sitting at home, I said, call Keiko. That was my hashtag. I said it all the time. I said, you need that kind mm-hmm. of veteran leadership in the clubhouse. You need right. that picture because to be honest, they didn't have anybody. So when they went out and got Keiko, I said, now you're going to secure some wins in there. Giolito gets something he needs. Ray Lopez is exactly who I thought he was. And there were two things I said coming into this season <laughs> that I'm not a Giolito fan. And a lot of people really are. I said, there's still some things that Giolito has to prove to me. I said, if you put Giolito on a different team, he's not necessarily an ace. He might be a two, three, or four easily. Mm-hmm. He's only an ace in Chicago because we have not had enough proven pitchers to challenge him for that title. If Rodon mm-hmm. had stayed around and stayed healthy, this might be a different narrative, but unfortunately he's not. So I was like, Giolito has to be consistent. Don't give me like you know, five or six good outings, and you can be a Cy Young contender. No, I need you to be consistent. And we had the same issue with Ray Lopez, except I honestly believe that Ray Lopez is just not going to make the cut. He will not be on this squad next year. What they need him to do is pitch well enough so that you can possibly package him up with some other players to possibly go get another arm. Because my guy, my guy, I'm a Kopech person. I'm, I keep telling people, trust me. He's chomping at the bit to come back. And you know, it's interesting. Rick Hahn did not rule out that he couldn't come back. Just remember. But I don't know exactly what the rule is if you opted out, if there's a deadline that you have to come back by. You know what I mean? So I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Piece. 
But I was also a huge fan of Dane Dunning, watched him pitch at Florida. And I kept telling people, this kid has got stuff. He's like a young Greg Maddox. And everyone's like, okay, but he was on the back burner because he was away because of Tommy John for like a year and a half. Look how his composure. This is game three tonight. Have you seen how well they, Dane Dunning almost could have hit a, pitched a no-hitter, but they pulled him in the yeah. fifth inning. Let's be honest. You can't have him throw a no-hitter, and then Giolito looks real, like, suspect. But anyways, um, <laughs> bottom line, yeah, because it, it was the Pirates, FYI, but I'm not trying to kill his thunder. I'll let it, I'll let it sit. <laughs> the issue with the playoffs are going to be this. Yes, they're a playoff team, to get back to your question. But the issue is going to be of how they're going to navigate the pitching situation because that is their Achilles heel. So they're going to have to be a little unconventional, kind of like the Milwaukee Brewers, where when they had their big run, it was like they were a bullpen-centric team with decent starting pitcher. Well, it's going to kind of look a little bit like that, where you may have some platoon-type pitching. They can't put Ray Lopez in this and think they're going to win it. So if you happen to get back Rodon, if you happen to get back Bummer, what you're going to end up doing is, or if you choose to lose, use Ray Lopez, you're not going to use him as a starter. You may use him in middle relief. So then you're going to use Dunning maybe paired with a Rodon. You may take Cease and pair him with somebody else. You're going to have that strong middle relief counterpart for what may not be proven arms in Cease and Dunning, who really may end up being so important in the equation. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, Maya, because that that back end of that that Sox rotation is definitely concerning for me. And I think that's going to be the one thing that kind of keeps it from going far into the playoffs. What do you think? Possibly. It's, it's not. It, let's be honest. Um, every team has an identity. And right now it's called the Chicago Hits, Hitman. That's just how it is. But everybody knew that the bats were going to be hot. Come, I mean, they knew it yeah. when they picked up, you know, Encarnacion. Um, great. Lewis Robert, let me just say this. The kid has excelled at every single level. Yeah. And how you know he's the truth, the light in the way, even though I keep telling people you got to loosen up a bit because his ego is getting a little too big, is that <laughs> he has not really struggled an ounce and the major leagues against good pitching. See, that's that flip side of youth. Like you get, when you get pitchers that don't get unwavered and they're young, mm-hmm. when you see hitters mm-hmm. that don't get unwavered, like you see in Lewis Roberts, the kid is for real. So they've got the offense, but it is the pitching that's gonna be the problem. And that's why I think they have to pitch by platoon for the weak links, which means Lopez can't be a real, thir- he can't be a starter. You're gonna have to look at Giolito, Keuchel, Cease, and then maybe you like use, and if you have to have a fourth, then I'm saying you're going to have to go with Dunning. I don't trust Ray Lopez. I don't, because he gives up too much too soon. So it's going to be a three pitching rotation with possibly Rodon, Bummer, Lopez, others in the bullpen. That'll be the difference. Uh, Sticking with that White Sox office, as you mentioned, Maya, uh, Elon Jimenez, as I call him on Twitter, must-see TV. He's definitely must-see TV at the plate, but in left field, he's must-see TV, but in the opposite direction. We had Dave Kerner from 780 WBBM on earlier, and he said, and I asked him the question, how long do you think that it will take the White Sox organization to make the decision to make Jimenez the full-time DH? He said maybe in about 18 months. I want to ask you, if you were Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams, I'll give you the Kenny Williams title. How long would it take? Uh, would you give uh, make the decision to put Eloy Jimenez as a full time DH because his play in left field, as I mentioned, not so stellar to watch. Um, I think I'm more of a Rick Hahn than a Kenny Williams. Just FYI, my oh. mindset. Me and, <laughs> me and Rick Hahn, we think a lot. Of, we think a lot alike. We think beyond. We think about winning cultures. We're not thinking about just this season. That's why making big moves at the trade deadline. So I think more like Rick Hahn than I do Kenny Williams. Kenny Williams probably would have traded somebody in the trade deadline seriously to get another arm. Because right now Kenny Williams has mm-hmm. the I want to. I can get a World Series. Rick Hahn wants it. 
but he's thinking about the long-term picture. So I'm, right. I'm more of a recon kind of person. But um, we, we jokingly call <laughs> Eloy the Pascal, which in Spanish is a fish because he's always in the net. Um, yep. So it, it's funny. <laughs> he's all, you know, here's, here's how I'm kind of with Dave Kerner on this. I'm going to give him, I'd give him maybe another season, give or take, because remember, Kyle Schwarber is an awful, he was awful about two years ago in the field. He's gotten better. So what I feel needs to happen with Eloy um, is that give him some time. And let's be honest, when you put him and Lewis Roberts out there together, Lewis Roberts kind of makes him a little better, so to speak. Um, yeah. Makes him better. So I'd say give it another season, though I think the whole time, even though I think he gets a kick out of jumping in the net, I, I swear, he's always laughing. He, <laughs> he's, he's really jovial. And I, I think he's so silly. I, I, I also nickname him Scooby-Doo all the time um, because he's so jovial. Um, yeah. I don't think he, he gets that, okay, come on, man, you can't keep doing that um, as long as you make the catch. Give it another season. Give it a learning curve. Work with him because if Schwarber could in, improve exponentially, and I feel that Eloy can do it as well, even though he did hurt himself on the celebration with Giolito's no-hitter. I don't know what he did. I have no idea. <laughs> I was like, Eloy, we told you not to twerk, and there he is. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what he did. So I'm like with Dave Kerner. I'd give, him, I'd give it another season, and he's willing to give him kind of more like, a se like two seasons because he's not god-awful. He just does a lot of things that make you cringe at times. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so because like, I'm a pr yeah, yeah, go I, I just want to say this before you continue. I'm afraid maybe this is the pessimist in me, and, and it's okay as a fan. But if he pulls one of those stunts during the playoffs, whenever that is, I guarantee you it's going to cost the Sox a game and perhaps a series. Let's just say it's a series they're not supposed to be in, but they're they're in it like against the Yankees or Oakland. If he has another stupid mishap that he shouldn't have, it's going to cost the Sox heavily. I'm, I'm just so afraid of that, and I do not want to see that happen to him. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, um, you never know. They may not. When you talk playoffs, when it comes to playoffs, you can be as in, unconventional as you want to be because, you know, you got to look at who's the best in left. Right. And if it turns out at this point Eli is the best they have, then that's my, what they may stick with. You may say using him as a DH because the bat is there might be the route they decide to go. So it's going to turn out to – this is when you get to test Renteria and say, let's look at your decision makings. You know, um, is this the right time? But at the same time, I, I want to say they also try to instill confidence in the players. So as much as you want to say, sit him, that's not helping him get better. And actually the conversation should be saying now like Eloy. And this is the difference between a Renteria and an Ozzie Guillen. Ozzie be like, Eloy. You, you got the net. You know, he would tell him, stay <laughs> off the damn net, man. What are you doing? This is when you want that, that coach, that manager that pulls him to the side for the next 23 games and saying, look, your bat's hot, but we got to work on some of these skill sets. Because remember, there was no spring training. Here's the thing about looking at Eloy's flaws right now. And this is why I think Dave Kerner is smart about saying anywhere for 18 months. You got no real spring training, which is more time to keep working. You also didn't get the beginning of the season that, you know, April getting through June, you know what I'm saying? So everybody yeah. is like in the mix of your skill just had to be already there and his skills still needed to be worked on. So we're still seeing, I think, a lot of mistakes because of the fact that he was missing that earlier part of the season to work on those skills. So we're still seeing some of those mistakes. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm like, have a little bit more patience um, because let's be honest. The thought with this season with almost every team was the teams that were going to rise to the top were the teams that were established veteran teams because they knew what they were doing. They didn't have to necessarily have a spring training to know where they're at, like the Dodgers right. and so forth, teams like yeah. that. 
Um, but lo and behold, you're getting a lot of surprises. Um, I said, for instance, don't sleep on Atlanta. Because Atlanta's been there the last two seasons. Yeah. They're young, they're fast, and they're playing baseball yeah. in a different yeah. way. I said the Padres, my running joke for the Padres is that the hashtag when they make the playoffs is don't call me Padre, call me daddy. Because I'm telling you, don't call me Padre, don't call me father, call me daddy. I'm telling you, because they made those moves with the intention of being in the playoffs and winning a World Series. You can see the moves that they made to kind of make sure they shored up where they were deficient because they feel like the iron's hot, we should win right now. So the White Sox, to me, first of all, my, my, my kind of expectation was I needed you to be better than a 500 team. That was one of my things. I felt you could potentially make a run at the wild card. And that, this was me thinking Kopech was in the lineup. So in that, in that sense, they've already exceeded my expectations, so to speak. If they won a World Series, I'm excited about it. If they get to a World Series, I'm excited about it. But I, it's going to be a real complicated road because it gets, it gets real difficult with some of the teams they would have to match up against, so to speak. But it's, it's interesting because Eloy, give him a break, and let's just see what he looks like at the end of these 23 games. All right, let's talk about the North Stars for a second, Maya. The Cubs, they've been able to benefit from a hot start and kind of keep everybody at bay. Do you think they could go far in the playoffs? I have to believe. I mean, now, mind you, I'm, I'm going to put on my, my baseball head and not be, not be a homer, not be like a, a Sox fan because I love baseball. And I, watch, <laughs> and I watch a lot of it outside of the White Sox. I watch games all the time outside. Right. The key thing is that clearly they have, they have the talent. But you know what's weird is I feel like I'm seeing a little bit of what I saw, which was the issue with Joe Madden. There seems to be a loss of intensity at times with them. I don't, I don't question their ability. Now, I don't know why people believe that Tyler Chatwood was anything more than what he was. Sean and I have a nickname for Chatwood, and it was called the crossing guard because he would let everybody walk. I mean, <laughs> seriously, uh, sure, you want to get to first base? Well, here you go. And he came out and had a couple good innings. And people, I'm like, don't let your short-term memory be that 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 literally that short. So the fact that he's out of the picture now because of injury, um, I respect the fact that Theo Epstein was like, we need to go into free agency. There's some pieces we need. They didn't, they're not exactly getting the closing that they wanted from Kimbrell, so to speak. Um, you haven't had a healthy Chris Bryant in the lineup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, they've never had everything hitting on all cylinders at one time. If they can still power through, and let's be honest, they're actually in a weak division, so to speak. They're not like a three-way race. Like the Sox are in a three-way race, so to speak. The Cubs are not. As long as they play good, solid baseball night in and night out, there's no reason why they're not going to win the play. I mean, win their division and make it to the playoffs. The question is, will they have all hands on deck? They need Chris Bryant in that lineup. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. They need Rizzo. They need Baez to be the Javi Baez that we had been seeing seasons past. The pitching, I mean – to me, there's enough there that they should be okay. But the difference is we're not going to be talking about them in this dominant nature like we had said maybe two or three seasons ago. They're not that same team because people fail to understand eventually the rest of Major League Baseball will catch up with you and sometimes pass you up like you saw with the Milwaukee Brewers. So they're contenders. <laughs> they're contenders. But it's going to be hard fought because the NL is actually really good this year. Yeah. It's going to be hard fought for them to make it to the World Series. And if they do, I've got mad respect. Even if they don't win it, it's going to be a hard fight for the NL to get there. Maya Akai, a.k.a. the Sports Chica, joining us here on Second City Sports. Along with Lakina McGee, I'm Sydney Brown. Staying with the Cubs, Maya, uh, given the, the, the issues that you brought up with the Cubs injuries and given the fact that they have struggles all year long in their bullpen, what grade would you give man, first-year manager David Ross, a.k.a. Grandpa Rossi? 
<laughs> See, here's the thing. It's so hard for me to look at him and say, you haven't done a good job because they're technically first in their division, but it's an mm -hmm. awful, but it's a bad division. Right. I mean, the Cardinals will never catch them because they literally are burning the wick on both ends, making yeah. up games. Like they're doing double headers, like nonstop because of their let's go to casino and let's all get COVID and bring it back situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now they're behind the eight ball. And it's not that the Cardinals are not a good team because they are, but they have to do too much. So to me, they're not a threat. You talk about the pirates, the let's be honest. And Milwaukee had players that opted out and they're not playing well. So, mm -hmm. David Ross inherited very much what I call what John Gruden, when he picked up, you know, when he picked up Tampa Bay from Tony Dungy, they were already in a winning, a winning team, so to speak. The pieces yeah. were there. He yeah. just had to come in, orchestrate and make it work. I kind of feel the same way about David Ross, regardless of how people feel about Joe Madden. Maybe it was time for him to go. Who knows? Everything has a shelf life. So mm -hmm. I, I can't, I can't, but I'm seeing a little bit of that same kind of issue we were seeing with Madden. I feel like from a standpoint of managing personalities, I feel that David Ross, unlike Renteria, has no problem pulling people to the side. He'll never embarrass you in front of anybody, and he shouldn't. But I think he would pull you aside and say, look, man, you can't do this. I need that. You need this. I think he will tell people, and there's a respect there with him. He knows that if he's giving criticism, he's not criticizing. He has a legitimate complaint, and there's a difference between the two. Criticism right. is you are talking someone down. You're not building up. You're tearing them down, and sometimes you never really get to the core of what the issue is. Where a complaint is, legitimately, here's an issue. Here's what it is. Let's address it. Let's come up with a solution. David Ross strikes me as that kind of person, though he has no experience from like really commanding the clubhouse. His only experience is from a player standpoint. Why I think that could be pristine is he can help obviously Contreras as well as the pitching staff kind of work through some things so to speak so I have to say I'd give him I'd give him a B I don't think he's been awful but I also think he inherited not a problem you know what I mean right. so yeah. all he has to do is make sure he orchestrates things well so and then go from there so like for instance if they didn't make the playoffs that would be a problem seriously if they like say get eliminated the first round I'm not even going to say I think it's David Ross I think I'm going to have to look at who they're playing and say, how did they match up, so to speak? So I'm not going to necessarily say that if he doesn't have a stellar season, that it's him and not the situations. I think there are some things that the Cubs are going to have to address come next season, so to speak. Bullpen is going to be one of them. But, yeah. Nope. Well, yeah, oh, uh, let's, let's, go to the, uh, let's go to the hardwood for a, for a second. Maya, uh, the playoffs are going on. Had that thriller with the Raptors and the Celtics last night. The Clippers, I think the, I think the Nuggets are a little exhausted from that, set, that great seven-game series. Where do you think the, where do you, how do you feel about the playoffs and their standpoint, and who are your picks? You know, this is one of those seasons to me that's, that's complicated. <laughs> I mean, seriously, because – you could look at some of the best, you're saying some of the best duels and Matt like on teams that you've seen in a long time. Um, like those one, two punches it. So, you know, people look at and say like, okay, the series to me, that's the one that I'll probably dial into the most is going to be that Rockets Lakers series. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you talk about LeBron, you talk about Davis and all that young talent that's with the Lakers that makes them good. And Harden, for what it's worth, people always sing his praises. And I said, you know, you, can, you don't have to fear the beard in the playoffs because real talk, he's not as dominant in the playoffs as he is in the regular season, so to speak. So for me, this is James Harden, which, by the way, having Westbrook on your squad is never a bad thing if you can get him to think about team and not self. 
that's the biggest <laughs> issue. Can you be team oriented? I think, uh, you know, you know how he is. Yeah. But that's the series to me that I feel like who wins that series, I personally feel wins the playoffs. That's just kind of how I see it in regards to experience, talent. And I'm going to go up and I'm, I'm going to probably be a little biased and say, I'm kind of feeling Lakers. Um, if nothing else, I feel that the one thing about LeBron that I've come to like um, and he's grown on me is that he's learned how to not be selfish. He's learned how to let others shine. You know, and it took Kyrie Irving a while to admit that, that, okay, he was like, yeah, LeBron really did let me do, you know, shine. I just didn't have the note the know at the time to accept what it was. So I kind of feel like whoever comes out of that series is going to kind of be the dominant one. When you look at the Bucks and the Heat, it's the Bucks. I mean, the Heat, I mean, Jimmy Butler could give his best performance ever all the time. It's just not enough to deal with because the Bucks play team basketball. And note, team basketball, basketball always has a different outcome than individualistic kind of approaches to things. So I kind of see the Bucks walking out of that. But the interesting thing is I don't know that when I think down the kind of the stretch, if that's enough, that makes them win everything, despite having the Greek freak. There always has to be more than that. Sid? Uh oh, did he? Oh, I think he froze. Uh, well, I'll just go ahead and answer my, my, my next question. Uh, my, well, let's talk about the Bulls for a second. I mean, the Bulls, um, they've made some big changes. You know, Arturo Kronishevis is the head of basketball operations now. Yeah, it's like they did a year ago. And I... He might have been saying something. We didn't know it, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just freezes. <laughs> it's, yeah, it does. Yeah, that's the way it does. There he is. Okay, I'll just finish it on my point about Milwaukee. Even they do come back to uh, knock off Miami. I, I'm not confident uh, against them uh, in the next round, whether it's Boston or Toronto, especially if it gets Toronto, because Toronto, even though they don't have Kawhi, they still have the formula to beat Giannis like they did a year ago in the Eastern Conference Finals. And and me personally, I do not like uh, Milwaukee's head coach. If they don't get it done this year, at least make it to the finals, he should be gone. And like I said before, they don't have that consistent uh, second score to go along with Giannis. They have Chris Milton. He's nice, and they got a nice boost, but they just don't had that go-to guy, they can go get a basket if Giannis struggles. Sydney, I agree with that. Um, if nothing else, what did everybody learn from the last dance? What did you learn about watching the Bulls? No matter, no matter how amazing Michael Jordan is and was, mm -hmm. it was really the pieces around him that made him, gave him that ability to be just that amazing. Now, mind you, he made other people better as well. But this yes. is why people give yeah. likes of Scottie Pippen respect because Jordan had his Pippen. So my thing is when you look around the league, ask yourself, does LeBron have his Pippen? Does, you know, does Giannis have his Pippen? You know, you got to go around the league and ask yourself that question. Whoever that star player is on that team, does he have the likes of Scottie Pippen? And then I would tell you, go ahead and sketch it further and be like, and does he have like a Horace Grant? You know, does he, there's so, Ron Hart, <laughs> you know, because then it just gets way more elaborate about what the Bulls really had. But that one, two, that's why I said that when you look at the one, two punches around the league, they're, mm -hmm. they're better than I've seen in a long time, but they're still... There's no one I would say besides like LeBron and Davis, if they play at such a high level, that would have been dominant, so to speak. But I'm with you on this with the Bucks, you know, and, and I'll tell you something. I feel like the Raptors are playing with a chip on their shoulder because Kawhi mm -hmm. leaves and trust me, the city of Toronto was willing to almost give him the city. They were like, you can have a new car every year. You can go into, <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm not joking. They were like willing to give him, you know, full carte blanche to the city of Toronto to get them to stay. 
but he always wanted to get back to LA. So he said, no, I know. He, he turned it down. You know, he obviously wanted to get back to LA. Not sure if the Clippers was his goal, not sure, but he still made it back mm -hmm. to LA. So I feel that I was questioning what Toronto would even look like without Kawhi, seriously. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this too, playing in a shortened season is different than a full season. You know what I mean? So I'm not, yeah. you know, they, I feel like they fully took advantage of it. And they're talented, but let's be honest, Kawhi, Kawhi was a huge piece of that puzzle. And I was like, right. they have played well above anything I expected for them to. So I believe that they wouldn't give up or stop at this point. So I don't know that Milwaukee, I'm with Lakina, was kind of starting to talk about them too. I don't feel, I'm with, I, I kind of agree with you guys. I don't feel they have enough for the stretch to get out of the East, so to speak. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys on that. Um, to finish my Bulls question, uh, Maya, with everything, all the changes going on at the top, where do you think the Bulls can go from here to build? <sighs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> God, the Bulls are just torturous to me because, um, you know, this is what the weird thing is. It's torturous to me because I look, like, I look at a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, and I'm not saying the Bulls are as good as they are, but they could be. Right. Because they have a they have a complement of talent on that team, that's amazing. I mean, it's like you know, you look at Zach. You, I mean, and, and there, to me, under Boylan, a lot of players like regressed. Like I don't like where marketing went. He lost his his, his intensity. Um, they wanted him to become one dimensional. They kind of wanted him to be like what was thought of being that old school Euro player. Well, look at Dante. She does. He's not an old school Euro player, and the guy is killing it. You know what I mean? Right. To me, yeah. they took away from Laurie. The whole reason he came to play in the U.S. at Arizona is because he wanted to make that adjustment to the U.S. form of basketball. And he wanted to learn how to play better to incorporate that into his Euro style game. And I feel like Boylan killed that. He just to me he killed. The spirits of a lot of players on that team. I'm serious. I think they stopped playing. <laughs> I think they, the minute he's asked them to punch in, I'm like, where you get this clown from? I was like, these are young men who make millions of dollars and you're not getting them motivated. You're trying to create their, their work ethic by punching a clock or running sprints. That's an insult. That's not how you make a team better. So the key thing is I felt the bulls before COVID kind of jumped out could have been an eighth seed. I felt that confident. But then I start watching the play and I was like, he's really killing it for them. It was him the whole time. So I'm going to tell you something. I was concerned as many that they would not get rid of him because now, now they're paying three coaches. You know that, right? They're playing three coaches. Yeah. So I was like, they cheap. They ain't going to get rid of him because they ain't trying to play three people. That's not even coaching. <laughs> but I do believe this new management team that has come in, the biggest, the biggest signifier that things were changing with the Bulls was the separation from Gar Pax. Now, of course, Reindorf being Reindorf couldn't just let John Paxson go because you know he loves, his loyalty is strong with people. And I don't know that that's a bad thing, but it should never negate winning, so to speak. So he's like, well, Foreman, you can go. But John, you have special, special meaning to me. So he's in the organization, but not necessarily in this decision-making role. That was more than 15 seasons of bad decision-making, but seasons that had good draft picks and good players. That's the crazy thing. They could never find the right kind of coach. So now with this new management team, I really fully feel they understand whoever they insert into that head coaching role is going to be the catalyst that changes where this team goes next season. That's how I feel. They know they need to get somebody that people respect who can coach this young team. And it's going to be interesting because it's like, are you going to go with someone young and kind of forward thinking? Are you going to go for experience? I don't know. The fact that Steve Nash could get a job. And I like Steve Nash, but I was like, really? I'm just glad it's not Chicago. <laughs> I was like, ah, okay, but it wasn't Chicago, so I'm okay with that. Um, I will always have a gripe that, like, Patrick Ewing can't seem to get a job. 
in the NBA beyond assistant because he was like assistant for 14 seasons and yet yeah. he no one will give him a crack at being a head coach which bothers me um Mark Jackson can't seem to get another job but people forget that before Steve Kerr took over the Warriors Mark Jackson was right there so I mean it's interesting because I'm always kind of saying, and people hate it, I'm like, I'd be okay with Mark Jackson being the head coach because I think he's got the attitude and the knowledge to make this current team better. So it's going to be the coach to me that will make them a playoff team come next year, and I'm going to stick with they should be at least as good as a seventh or eighth seed, depending upon them. Remember, we got some key people coming back in the East next year. Kevin Durant will be back. So it's going to look yeah. a little different, and there right. might be some trades that happen after this season as well. So we got to see kind of what the trade landscape looks like, who falls where, if the Bulls make any moves. But I still feel the catalyst that can make them an eighth seed like they should have been this year is going to be the head coach. Because the talent is there to be an eighth seed, at minimum. Maya Kai from Shine and Maya in the Morning is joining us right here on Sega City Sports Zoom style, along with Lakina McGee. I am Sydney Brown. Maya, let's go to football. The Chicago Bears 2020 style will kick off next Sunday afternoon in Detroit <laughs> against the Lions, probably with no fans in Ford Field. Uh, let's start out with that quarterback position. If, you know, according to who you listen to and who you read, some people say Nick Foles should be the starter next Sunday, while others say Trubisky will, will be the starter. I always said on this show that Trubisky would be the starter mm -hmm. from a PR standpoint because – Head coach Matt Nagy, but in particular Ryan Pace, the general manager, do not want to look bad with egg on their face knowing that they couldn't get everything out of Trubisky. I think Trubisky will be your starting next Sunday afternoon at noon on Fox. Uh, what say you about who should be the starting quarterback? I'm, Cindy, I'm with you on this. Um, he is going to be the starter. Not so much Nagy because he wasn't there. Remember, he, you know – Mitch was drafted when John Fox was there. And John yeah. Fox was never a quarterback guy. He's like, you give me something, I just work with it. He was, that wasn't his thing. So it's really Pace that wants this to turn into something more because of what they left on the table in Watson and Mahomes, who, by the way, are yeah. playoff Super Bowl, you know, type quarterbacks. Um, yeah. I still get really insulted because Sean, um, Sean knows somebody who actually works for the Bears in the whole drafting piece. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And he's like, within that draft room, the conversation was that Trubisky was the best quarterback on the board, and they felt he had a higher ceiling than Patrick Mahomes. I said, well, then they all must have been standing on their heads and looking at the floor. I was like, <laughs> because there was no way you could possibly think the guy who only started 13 games in college. And by the way, if you know Mitch's um, history, he didn't get the, he wasn't like just given the quarterback spot. He had to duel with another guy to get it. I was like, but you look mm -hmm. at Mahomes and Watson and what they did and the programs they came from. I have no idea what they were thinking. I don't, I don't. So I'm like, that's a mistake. And I love the fact that when the Bears played Mahomes, he teased them. I was like, yes, that's right. Rubbing in their face um, because they should have never passed you by. So Mitch is going to be the starter purely because it is what has to be done. Just know, though, he's going to be on a very short leash. Mm -hmm. um, they went out and intentionally got Foles. Not because Foles is like, let's be honest, Nick Foles is not this super dynamic quarterback. But where he mm -hmm. falls in a quarterback continuum is he's a guy that's a starter that isn't necessarily a playmaker, but he's better than a game manager. So he falls in this really gray area of – because the guy won a Super Bowl. And the thing is, he's a team guy. He was behind Carson Wentz, never said anything. But when he get, was called to action, guess what? He stepped in, executed like he didn't miss a beat. And that's the kind of guy that you need. And this is exactly why Nagy's like, if you're going to make me do this again, again, please give me somebody 
who can execute because you know he comes because Nut Foles had a, a go round with the with the Chiefs before he actually retired and then he right. like left football and then came back to the Eagles. So he knows the type of playbook that Nagy wants to run. So Mitch is going to be on a really short leash, which you know what I feel for him because from a psyche standpoint, this is every every rumbling every media outlet in Chicago is calling for you to sit, and rightfully so because you ain't done nothing. But out of fair. <laughs> He had two years, obviously, you know, with, you know, the Fox era wasn't great. He didn't get the kind of, you know, mentorship. And we know John, John you know, Mike Glennon, who we, I nicknamed Chicken Neck, um, was not going <laughs> to, he's the longest damn neck I've ever seen in my life, um, wasn't going to help Mitch be better at anything. So that first season was more about learning the speed of the game. And believe it or not, Mitch actually, we were kind of loosely impressed with him during that time because it was low expectations. But then as it moved on and you got better pieces to the puzzle, mm -hmm. I don't think he has the mental resolve to be a starting quarterback because when things fall apart, he looks like a deer in the headlights, legitimately. Um, he can't read defenses. And that was always apparent to me. I was like, and you want a guy who may not have the biggest arm, but his accuracy is on point and he can read a defense. That's a guy you can win games with. And that's what Nick Foles is. So he can read a defense. He can see the breakdown. He can get the ball to where it needs. He can limit turnovers, all those things. Like I said, but a game manager isn't quite that dynamic, but he's also not the guy that's going to scramble like a Mahomes or a Watson and run like, you know, for 15 yards or something like that. He doesn't have that piece, but he can stand in that pocket and he can scramble when needed. Kind of like a Tom Brady. Tom Brady is not going to yeah. run you you know what I mean? And when he does run, yeah. like, look at Tom go, you know, yeah. <laughs> People, like laugh, like, oh my God, look at him. Um, and that's kind of Nick Foles. He's probably a little faster than Brady. I'll give him that, but he's not a speedster by any means. So I say, and I'd ask you guys this, I think that legitimately Mitch probably only has three games and they might pull him in game three if he's not playing well. So they're going to give him game one to get back into the flow, the feel of things, see how things go. Game two, he needs to look better. But I think if he gets in the game, if, if one, two, and three look awful, I think they'll start him on three and pull him and put Nick in. Seriously. What's your thoughts about how short, if you think it's a short leash for him, and how many games you think they'll go with him if he's not performing? You go first, Sid. I'll go first. I'll say two because of the schedule. I don't have the full schedule in front of me, but after you play Detroit on the road next week, your home opener will probably be for sure without fans against the New York Giants. So they're not – as great either. I think if the Bears go all in two for sure and, he, and Mitch doesn't look great, I think they'll pull him then because you're playing quote-unquote two soft opponents and you couldn't get a victory against either one. Assuming that the defense is healthy and they do their part, I think after the second game against the Giants, if they are all in two and, and then they play close games and Mitch turns the ball over, I think they'll pull him then. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm with you, Maya. I think three games is probably the maximum that the leash is long leashes for. Like you said, so if he doesn't do well against, if they don't go at least one and one, I think they're, I think Nagy mm -hmm. will pull the plug and yank him out. But if they go two and oh, I think they'll, they'll try to, you know, ride that, that horse, if you will, as long as they can. And that's, and the thing is, the beginning of their schedule isn't necessarily, I mean, because to me, I kind of feel like whether it's home or away, there's no fans. So that kind of edge is kind of gone for everybody. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, so you're right. They, they start with Detroit. And if you can't beat Detroit, we got a problem. Uh, 
not to be mean. Uh, and everybody should look quick because, you know, in Ford Field, it's, it's indoors. So coming out the gates, they should look fast as an offense. You should see that speed. Um, his accuracy is not going to be questioned because he's not, you know, throwing into the wind. So this is like, you know, a time that Mitch should look decent because of just right. the, the venue he's playing is, is in a dome. So you're not getting elements because, you know, I would say like in Chicago, like this, this week has been kind of windy, which is funny. Um, so, you know, stuff like that. So he's, he's, he's playing, he's starting out in the dome. So he really should play better. But then when you look at like the rest of the schedule, like you said, the Giants, for God's sakes, um, if they can't beat, I know and there are people who are Giants fans, I know, but come on, um, on paper, the defense can take care of them. You know what I'm saying? So Mitch just yeah. has to get in there and score points. But then you go Atlanta, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, which will be an interesting game, um, Carolina, and then you see the Rams. But even the Rams have made adjustments. They're not exactly the same team. Then you go New Orleans. And to me, New Orleans might be that first game that really pushes the envelope with them. And we'll, and we'll see how they play. But then you get Tennessee and then Minnesota. It's kind of like your first division you get before the bye week. So they're getting all these non-division games before mm-hmm. the bye week and then right. the division games pretty much all follow after the, after the bye. So this is where it's interesting because I look at this first part of the schedule and they should be dominant here because they're games that they should be able to win. And if they can't, if they, if they don't, if they go less than 500 and they really should do better than that to tell you the truth in the first yeah. part of the season, that's going to be a problem. Seriously. Where do, where do you think they uh, stand? Where do you think they stand no, in the no, rest of the division? You know what's interesting, and to see, this is actually to me a weak division, despite having Aaron Rodgers in it. For everybody who's all Aaron Rodgers centric, so to speak, because Green Bay is having problems. <laughs> Some people like you know, it's um, Green Bay is having their fair share of problems right now. Um, there's a lot of struggles, a lot of changes, so they're not this dominant team that they we've gotten accustomed to them being. And yes, at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers will be that X factor. He always is. Well, you know, when you game plan for the Packers. I mean, you're doing your due diligence, but you're also planning for Aaron Rodgers, so to speak. So, but Green Bay is in is is not as strong as they, they have been. Detroit is the bottom. It's the bottom. I'm sorry. If if Detroit wins, we're all we should all be confused. Um, <laughs> my, my pseudo side team. Um, I'm actually I'm actually I, the running joke is that the Vikings are my side team. Um, but this goes back to the 1990s when Denny Green was a head coach. Um, yeah. I started going to the Vikings game because Denny Green, um, um, I went to University of Iowa, I'm Hawkeye. And so Denny Green came from Iowa, I went to Iowa, was a coach. And so, yeah. you know, when Denny took over for the Vikings, I was like, Hawkeye, you know, we're deep like that. We root everywhere. So I kind of <laughs> couldn't go wrong because it was Chris Carter and Randy Moss. Yeah. And I mean, it was when the Vikings were like dominant as all get out. So I used to go up to Minnesota for games, one of the best fan experiences ever. It's just so inter- interactive. The Vikings might be as it stands right now one of the better teams in the division. And I'm not saying that just to say it, they do the team to me that might be the team to beat, but it's not like they're awesome. They're just a little bit more leveled at this point in regards to returning players, relative health. So as long as things stick on that level, they should be okay. But it's, here's the thing though. If they let Nick Foles start, honestly, they're as, as good, if not better than the Vikings. I'm only saying the Vikings are better than the bears because Mitch is a quarterback. But if you put Nick Foles in that starting position, I tell you, they're a better team instantly. I want to ask you about Allen Robinson, the the third year. The, he going to, he's going to his third year as a Chicago mm-hmm. Bear. Of course, two years ago, he was coming back from that torn ACL from Jacksonville. Put up some okay numbers. He, he proved to be a primetime player in that playoff loss against Philadelphia last year. Had his first 1,000-yard season, Pro Bowl-type numbers. 
What do you expect out of Mr. Robinson in year three, even though he's due for a contract extension? I expect for, you know, when they picked up Allen Robinson, I had such mixed emotions because coming out of Jacksonville, all the time he had missed. I hate, <laughs> I hate, I hate getting a player and I got to go with, well, you know, his number is like three years ago. I'm like, really? <laughs> I hate that <laughs> because you never really know what to expect when you get somebody taking numbers for two or three seasons back because of injury. You don't know. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we'll see. Very impressed with him. Felt like he probably could have gotten the ball more. Um, he definitely was a deep threat, especially with there not being a tandem balance on both sides, so to speak. He was a, the go-to guy, and he was consistent. There's enough coming out into this season, I think, is going to make Allen Robinson more lethal. Nagy finally gets to stretch the field. We know he hates to run the ball, but he has what I would say is a decent or at least serviceable running game. Um, but that's okay because he's not going to be really running the ball anyways. So, but he's enough to me within the running core that it works. But the key thing was he comes from an offensive system that's predicated on having t a tight end. Let's be honest. Um, and Trey Burden was the biggest disappointment ever. Um, they just didn't have what they needed in tight ends, so to speak, to, to kind of allow Nagy to stretch the field. I am actually a big fan of Jimmy, of Jimmy Graham. Um, and, I, and I say this because I feel like when he left New Orleans, he landed in Seattle. That team was in transition, and it was in, it was in turmoil, so to speak. So he yeah. didn't work out well there. Kind of is the same situ situation in Green Bay. He went into another situation that wasn't offensively really where it should be. So I think he got lost in translation, and people questioned his ability because he didn't get as many touches. But he also really wasn't used that much. So though he's not a blocking tight end, he's a sure-handed, can get you, you know, yards after catch tight end. So I believe with having a middle of the field game, that makes Allen Robinson, who's a great route runner, even more dangerous. So I expect for him to have an exceptional season, and the Bears are going to probably have to pay him, which they're going to hate, but either way. I think that Allen Robinson is a big part of this offense to help, you know, obviously, and Nick Foles will be looking for him because he's a veteran receiver with a veteran quarterback. Those are two things that work really well. See, I'm talking about Nick Foles like he already started. <laughs> I've already just put him in the game already. Um, yeah. But Mitch, but Mitch has, he's established a chemistry, so it's not like he hasn't. Um, that's why there's an expectation into this season. He should be better. So Allen should get the game. He should get the ball more. Him and Mitch should have a connection at this point. You know what I mean? Right. He should have numbers yeah. as good, if not better, than last year. And if he doesn't, the question is why. Do you think the, do you think the defense can be that top five defense they were a couple of years ago? I do, even with um, some of the opt-outs. Um, anytime you still have – I mean, you've obviously – we got Mac is back. Um, everything pretty much is coming back. We've had a couple players opt out and, and, and go in, and I get that piece. Um, but I also like some of the pieces that they're going to be inserting. Um, interesting enough, they might look a little faster. For me, what I need to see is I like Chuck Pagano. I do. Um, we, we really kind of cringe when Fangio left because, you know, this was really his defense. But they went and got a guy that those players could respect. And I think that part was key. So I expect to see a little bit. I thought that I really felt that Pagano would be a little bit more aggressive than he was because he used to be like really aggressive, like with blitzes, um, stuff like that. I don't feel like I saw as much of that last year. You may see a bit more of a, a, a Pagano-esque defense and being very aggressive, aggressive with blitz and exotic things because that's really what he's known for. He didn't quite do it as much last year, but I think it was an adjustment period, so to speak. So because he does have some speed, you know, you got Roquan. I mean, you got a lot going on on that defense, right. seriously. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I do believe they will be a top five defense. Um, Khalil Mack is pissed from last season. <laughs> he's got a chip <laughs> on his shoulder. You know, he's got a chip yeah. on his shoulder. 
um, he didn't perform at that level. So yes, I absolutely do believe they will be a top five defense. Absolutely. Maya Kai from Shine and Maya in the morning joining us here on Second City Sports. Uh, we spend the last few minutes with Maya, aka the Sports Chica. Maya, let's go back to to the Milwaukee Bucks, but off off the court, of course, is, this will be. Uh, the couple weeks since the tragic murder of Jacob Blake from Kenosha, Wisconsin, of course, the Bucks uh, led the way in stopping uh, uh, stopping the games and when they protested a, a playoff game against the Orlando Magic uh, a week or so ago. Of course, all the professional sports leagues followed, but in the NFL, uh, I think including the Chicago Bears as well, is, uh, did not practice for a day to bring up awareness. Do you think that the protest led by the Bucks worked in the short term? And what do you see happening going forward as, as far as athletes and social activism in the climate that they're that we are in right now? You know, it's interesting because we probably notice it more because whoever's town it happened and needed to respond. So it was Kenosha, but it's in obviously Wisconsin, so they, they had to respond. Um, and you would expect that that team would be the leader in that. But even if they didn't do a damn thing, the rest of the NBA, and the, you know, the WNBA, they're just monsters about yeah. protests. They are, they are monsters. Well before the NBA got it, the WNBA has been on protesting. Um, and, and expressing themselves and, and, and having a voice, especially considering they're not necessarily the most popular sport and doesn't get that support. They've always had a voice. I don't mm -hmm. think that's going to change. I do believe that you're, we're legitimately looking at a situation now where so many, the consciousness is there. Um, the thing for me about activism, and I'm okay with this, is that if you know anything about sports and activism, it's always been present. If you go back to John Carlo in the 68 Olympics, if you go back to yeah. Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. um, and we're talking about protesting when there was like, it was the division in this country was obvious, not hidden. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there is a momentum shift, but I think the piece to me that's missing is that I'm okay with protests, but there's a difference between change and progress. Change is something is different doesn't necessarily mean it's moving towards the right direction with, with progress, which means things that were the same have changed for the better. That's progress. We need to stop having just conversations. And actually, to be honest, everybody's talking, but nobody's listening as far as I'm concerned. Not listening enough. Um, yeah. Athletes are now, to me, the new voice. And this is the thing that's so unique about their platforms. They have a captive audience of people. And some people are angry about this. And I will tell you this because when I'm not moonlighting in sports talk, I'm actually a counselor, a mental health counselor. I will tell you for a lot of people, sports has been a much needed thing because when there were no sports during COVID, a lot of people, and they were just quarantined, really struggled with no outlet. So I have to say that sports has been a good thing for a lot. It's been a good distraction. Um, even if they can't be in the stands, it's been a good distraction. So they do have a captain audience because of that distraction. But I think what's important is you have to be very clear about your narrative. And one of the things that we have a show on Sports on Chicago called Sports 101 with Jamar Harp. He's like our, our sports historian, great person. He just did a show about this. And he's like, you know, people should stay in their lays about what they do. He goes, so the, he's like, the, the NFL donated like something like 80, $89 million to social causes. He goes, you know what they should do? He goes, do what you do best. He's like, don't randomly take that $89 million and just give it to various organizations. He goes, take that $89 million and put it where you are known best. He's like, so go to historically back colleges and fund some of those programs to give them new facilities. He's like, go in and you know, do something like where the you know, Major League Baseball has the RBI program for the inner city yeah. sports. 
he's like, start investing in inner city sports. You can do leadership and mentorship. And it's like, yeah. take your money and put it where you can actually have an influence. Cause then your athletes go in and talk to these kids about not getting in gangs, finishing school. You know what I'm saying? He's like, look at doing something where you can truly have an impact because because it's what you know and the thing is i kind of agree with him because when you water down money you just hand it to tons of organizations let's be honest does it really get to the empty hand or the hand who needs it the most most of the time it doesn't Not really it doesn't so i'll kind of like guess what a new facility guess what we see a new facility so now that makes him able to compete with the big five powerhouse conferences in football or baseball. And now you can get more people who want to attend those schools, which bring in more revenue, which makes it a better quality of education. To me, there's a different route we need to go, but we haven't gotten to that part of the conversation yet because everybody's still mad. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we get to that part of the conversation because, like right. you said, the, the lack of funding those HBCU schools is a big problem. Keep it up with the college theme here, Maya. Um, college football starting in various forms. You know, you got some F smaller you know, you know d1 fcs you know, have some that have decided not to not to play wait till maybe the fall wait till the spring i mean and then you got acc the the big 12 and the sec they're gonna try and go for it what side are you on in this issue this is complicated because at the end of the day they're students and they're athletes but their value in most cases is different than just a traditional student on, on the campus. So if a school is not open, then clearly you can't do sports. So a lot of schools were gonna open just because they knew they had to if they wanted to play sports. Like in the Big 10, pretty much they've opted to just do conference games and not do really anything out of conference. So to me, that kind of changes what the college football you know playoffs are going to look like you know what i mean it's going to be really strange because some of those matchups are you know and some you know actually even like whether it's basketball you have some teams that take matchups because it does generate revenue for their program yeah. if they come from a smaller school when they'll take a game with a bigger with a bigger team so there is some loss financially for some programs that are choosing not to do these things at the end of the day it's about the health college students and high school students are through the worst populations when it comes to anything they don't listen to nothing. They all want to yeah. touch each other. They're like, I'm going to breathe on you just because. Because they told me not to breathe on you. You know, they're, they're the worst. It's true. It's true. They're the worst population ever because they have this invincible mindset that it'll be okay. And the only reason our, our numbers with COVID-19 probably didn't look awful is because they shut down schools. It probably would have looked a lot worse if they had left schools open. Because you have some kids right out the gate that were already doing the opposite of what they were told. So... It's a serious, it's a serious issue that we have. And I think universities, when you talk about thousands of people, it's about keeping the athletes safe as well as the rest of the student population. It's a tough call. If they would have, and like you said, some people said no sports till spring, hopefully that we'll be past this. I respect that decision. For the people who decided to decide to move forward, you better make sure you put a whole lot of protocol in place to keep these, these students safe when it's all said and done. Because that's the issue. Because we saw, even within baseball, how who, who didn't necessarily do it the right way. To me, the WNBA, the NBA, and hockey got it right with the bubble. They got that right, controlling the situation as much as they could. So hence, we saw how that worked. Major League Baseball had its issues because they're not in the bubble. But yet, they, I think they all of a sudden kind of dialed back a bit and started behaving like they're in a bubble as much as they could after Miami and St. Louis. Schools are going to have to try to employ the same concept with their athletes making them be more like in a bubble, so to speak, if they want to play. I want to see how it's going to pan out, though, because I'll be honest, testing is very expensive. I mean, yep. you see what the NBA and NFL are paying. Yeah. Um, the average school doesn't have that kind of dollars and revenue 
to spend that kind of money on testing to make sure that the students are safe. And that's the other issue. They don't have resources. So for the people who said spring sports, I can respect it. So like, if we can't go into this with, again, uh, Jamar Harp, who does our show, is really familiar with HBCUs. He said the biggest issue with them is they don't have the revenue to keep it safe, like for the cleaning. He's like, they don't have right. the money. He said, because they don't have the money, they made the, they made the decision to not move forward because they knew they couldn't do the things and put the protocols in place to make it work. So that's why, so now you see another glaring dis, you know, you know, disparity right there within itself. So I hope it goes off without a hitch. Um, we'll see. Last couple of moments with Maya Akai, AKA the Sports Chica from Sean and Maya in the morning right here on Second City Sports. Maya, I know that beautiful sports brain of yours is filled with that hockey knowledge as well. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you about uh, the Blackhawks from this past season, the 2020 edition. Uh, they defeated the Edmonton Oilers in the qualifying round three games to one before falling to the Vegas Golden Knights uh, in five games. Do you think that this is the season of uh, just a, a surprise the season happening on the radar or they, they're going to go back to the, their losing weights for the past couple of seasons? Or do you think that this is a new core which they can build on and perhaps become contenders within the next couple of years, assuming that they have canning tapes together? It's going to be an interesting step forward. Um, I'll be honest. Well, first of all, they weren't even supposed to be in the playoffs. Let's just call it like it is. But sure. they, got, they got dealt a card. I'll tell you this. I lost a bed and had to wear, oh, my God, I had to wear a Cubs jersey. Um, a Cubs jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and I wore it on our Wednesday uh -oh. show on Sean and Maya. So it was Sean and our producer, Ivan. Um, they were like, the, the Blackhawks, you're going to win this series. I'm like, um, the Edmonton Oilers, they're good. I said, I don't, I don't get it. Um, so the bet was if – if the Blackhawks lost, then Sean had to wear Cubs gear. Ivan had to wear Sox gear. And then I had to wear Cubs gear if, if you know, if the Blackhawks won. Well, guess yeah. what? They won. So I had to wear some, a Cubs gear. <laughs> but hey, Oops. but it was, for a good, it was for a good cause. So hence I was like, okay, I don't want to, but it's for a good cause. The key thing that for me that I had to kind of have the moment with is I was not really big on Jerry Colleton. I, Jeremy Colleton, I wasn't. Um, he was a guy who was respected for his skill set, but it really hadn't been proven at the NHL level. He had been in the AHL, he had been abroad, um, but everyone felt like he was this great hockey mind. His, his nickname is the great communicator. I was like, whatever. And of course, I was like everybody else. I was a coach Q person. So it was hard. How that ended bothered me. Um, yeah. I have to say that I've gained a new respect for Jeremy Colleton coming out of that series with Edmonton because they played at each time. There were certain things they had to do to me to win. Um, they had to be better at the power plays, and by the, by the time they won the series, they had improved. They still did not necessarily do well in regards to the defensemen. That's one of their deficiencies. Um, they have to figure out a way. We got to expect Taze and Kane are going to be there. Allegedly, they said that Seabrook will come back next year, and Seabrook went on record saying that he chose not to go to Edmonton. I was like, oh, he wasn't there? Anyways, because um, he hasn't been there like in two seasons. But he said that he chose – to not go because he wanted to give himself time to get healthier. He said the reason he's played below, below par was because he has not been healthy. So now he has all this time to get healthy. So if you get a Brent Seabrook playing back at least 50% of where he was, um, Duncan Keith played relatively well, but the defenseman piece is a huge, it was a huge issue. What I liked about this series was all my young players, you know, Kubalik, um, Dal, I mean, all of them took a big step forward. And we kept talking about them being green and needing more ice time. And I think the one thing they don't have is toughness. They might want to work on that. They're not the toughest team necessarily. That's when you miss your Shaws, yeah. you know, and you know, the, the scrappy ones that could get out there and they wanted mm -hmm. to get down. Um, and yeah. Vegas showed you that. Vegas was like pinning mm -hmm. them up against the wall like they were paying for it. 
seriously. I was like, yeah. someone needs to go rough them up in the offseason because Vegas just gave it to them. But I don't think they're going to go back to being a losing team. I don't. I think they're going to take a step forward. But they have to go out, get defensemen. There's no doubt. We should not question it. Corey Crawford will be back. He played at a level that, I mean, with no fear, even with having a concussion history, Corey Crawford gave it up. He did. Yeah. And that's why and I was yeah. kind of like, we need more defensemen because he was getting way more action than he should have got. And they don't have an heir apparent because we saw him over in the Vegas Knights net. <laughs> so <laughs> with that being said, um, well, you know what? And we've traded away a lot of pieces over time. Um, yep. but this is the first time in a long time that we can't say that we're really as prepared. They're not going to be as bad. I believe they will be a team that can make the playoffs, not necessarily a high seed, unless they go mm -hmm. out and make a relatively big trade for what I feel is a veteran player. Right. You know, I don't think we realized how much we would miss Marion Hosa, who wasn't a young player, but he was like a freak of nature. Hosa to me is when that decline really began, when you could see it, along with other injuries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel they need another veteran player in the mix to kind of complement that Taze, Kane, Keith, Seabrook. Not old, just a veteran player. Because they did, they did skate faster. I mean, everything they didn't do well with Edmonton, every single game they got better at it. So I'm like, it's not that mm -hmm. they can't get better, but I still feel like they could use a little bit veteran infusion on that squad, and they can't be so young. But I think they'll be a winning, a winning team. I, I see playoffs. Not high-seeded playoffs, but I see playoffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Last question for me, Maya. Um, DePaul just hired a new AD, Dwayne Peavy, who was at Kentucky for, I think, like about 10 or 12 years. Do you think he could kind of make a big splash? Should, should, they, should, they, should he decide to, fi to fire Dave Lato? No. It's DePaul. Look. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. I'm glad to see that in my lifetime, I got to see DePaul with Aguirre, Strickland, Kamajis. I'm that old. Um, I got to see that era of Ray Myers basketball. You know what I mean? Right. Um, for some reason, Chicago teams have a hard time keeping talent. But it isn't just because I think sometimes these kids want to get out of Chicago. I also think it's because so many other programs are so well-developed. You know what I mean? Um, and it's so yeah. you got to come in with – to me, you need a head coach that makes it interesting – who's proven and just getting an AD doesn't change that. You know what I mean? Right. That's, that's not going to be the thing that makes people play for you. It's the coach. It's the history of the program. Illinois has the same problem. It's, it's a history of the program. It's the coach. Um, and neither one of them have enough to attract some of that top tier talent that all these other people come to Chicago to take away. So I don't, I don't, I hate to say this. I don't think the future of DePaul changes just because they got a new AD. I don't. <laughs> on that note <laughs> <laughs> I love it though I love it I love her honesty though yeah. I love her honesty <laughs> on, on that note we'd like to thank Miss Maya Kai aka the sports chica of Sean and Maya in the morning uh, when can people catch their program uh, Maya um, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. You can find myself and Sean and others um, talking everything. Pretty much we are a Chicago sport, you know, focus like you guys are program. We'll dip into some other stuff because with the current climate, you kind of have to. Um, but yeah. where we focus on Chicago first, not the right. second city. We're first. We're the first city. Yes. <laughs> and then, right and then we go from there so yes and of course if you miss our shows you can always find them on the sports zone chicago download the app google play itunes as well as the amazon store because you can find all podcasts of our shows as well as other shows and you can watch inside the app as well so it's very it's, right. very, it's very user friendly nice all right thank you so much Maya. we can go on for the next five hours because you feel with that yeah. knowledge from all subjects abroad thank you so much i'm glad we got the chance to do this 
you better not be a stranger. You have an open door policy to come back and uh, chop it up with us, as the kids would say. You're more than welcome. The invitation is for you two as well. I expect that you're going to make an appearance on Sean and Mine in the morning as well. Of course, oh, of oh, course. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, good stuff. Thank you for having me. All right, Thanks, Maya. Maya. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye-bye. Thanks. All right. All right, Lakina, uh, that was Maya Kai once again. Uh, Sean and Maya in the morning. You can catch their program there on their Facebook page, as you mentioned, where all podcast platforms are available. Did you have fun today? Oh, I had a blast. Uh, we had a couple of great guests, and hopefully, yes. let's, let's do it again. Let's do it again next week. Yes, I'm, I'm ready for. I'm ready for a nice long three day holiday weekend. Enjoy these NHL playoffs and NBA playoffs, and when we uh, commence next week, Lakini, it will be all about the football. Oh, yeah. Look, I'm, it's hard to believe that just next next Thursday will be the very first NFL game of the season. It, it, yeah. Right? Yeah. And you look at – they just announced that Michelle Tafoya will be, like, in the first row stands. Like around, I think she'll be, like, around Arrowhead. So I'm, I'm assuming that the other sideline reporters are probably – maybe the locally, too, are probably going to be in that same – around that same mm-hmm. area as well. So that's going to be very interesting interesting since you know no one's allowed in the sidelines so that's gonna be very pretty interesting like how everything looks and feels hopefully and real quick before you jump out of here for this for this week's uh, episode i'm uh, thinking about because uh, we like to th- thank also dave kerner from news radio 780 wbbm bears radio they'll uh, tune in to bears Lions starting next week at 9 a.m on wbbm uh is jeff joniak and tom there are Will they be allowed to travel with the team to Fort Field, or will they be doing their broadcast from Chicago? I'm not sure. Along with the other radio announcers from the other NFL teams as well, will they be allowed to travel with the teams, or will they be staying back at their home bases and doing the broadcast? We just don't know. Hopefully we'll have an answer for you by this time next week. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah, I hope so, too. Real quick, Islanders and Flyers, Game 7, who's your pick? Ugh. Call me crazy. Give me the Flyers. My, I, ha- I have a couple of friends who are big Flyers, Flyers fans who live in the area. We're very happy to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like the Flyers, too. I, I think the Islanders had their chance to kind of put that series away. They did. That was a thrilling mm-hmm. two-overtime thriller. So I'm, I'm, looking, you know, I'm looking forward to that game seven. Um, we'll see how the Rockets look against the Lakers. Like Maya said, I think they have – I think mm-hmm. they had this too earlier that – that there may be the best chance of derailing that all Los Angeles Western Conference Finals that we've been looking forward to for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be one interesting series. I, I do have the Lakers in six. They should beat the Rockets in five, but you know James Harden's going to go off. Oh yeah, uh, have one of the one of those games, so they'll they'll probably push it to six games. So I have the Lakers in six. They're the better overall team. How about that literally season-saving win by the Raptors last night? Kyle, yeah, they, Kyle Lowry throwing that ball over seven foot six taco fall. <laughs> 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 that, that shot by the one they, the, the heat. Okay, that shot was great, but let's talk about mm-hmm. the pass. Come on. Yeah, one of the, if not the best pass of his career. So if, <laughs> if he doesn't connect on that pass, they'll be down three all right now. It'll be a, a insurmountable hole for the the defending champs to climb out of. But they're back in the series, two one trailing two one to Boston. Uh, game four is Saturday, so hopefully uh, Toronto will get back on track because if they don't even up this series at 2-2, two, two, 
it's going to be a tough road for them, even though they'll be trailing 3-1. Uh, it's not going to be easy, even in a bubble. So Toronto needs to get game four. Do you think Denver can make a make it a series against the Clippers? They said, no, I they, hope so. Yeah, I they, hope they so because you know. Hung, yeah, go ahead. They hung in there for a while, but you know, yeah, kind of kicking it into gear. I think part of it too is fatigue from their seven game series against Utah. So I think they played a factor in as well. I want to see how Denver comes out in uh, game two and also in game three because. If they don't win uh, either of those next two games, it's going to be a short series for them. All right, real quick, yeah, K- K- Kentucky Derby this weekend, tomorrow, as you know, as we're filming, it's on Friday. So that should be fun. It's going to be weird because I don't think there's going to be fans out there in Churchill Downs. Mm-hmm. So no mint juleps, unfortunately, but, but it's going to be very weird, the atmosphere. It's going to be interesting to see how that looks and feels. And yeah, also- whoever – yeah, whoever Eddie Olchek has for the winner, I'll go with that. You're picking <laughs> Yeah, I'll say, in Eddie, we trust both hockey and horse racing. Also, the Tour Championship is going on down in Atlanta. Dustin Johnson and John Rahm is going to be between those two. Johnson's up, has an early lead right now, but Rahm's right there, three shots back. So that'll be very just interesting, too. So the winner, you know, it's going to be kind of like a – those two could probably end up being on a collision course as to who ends up winning the FedEx Cup. So that should be fun, too. And also, too, I'm going to make a small confession. I will use this weekend to catch up on U.S. US Open tennis because I heard it's been some really interesting things happening in upstate New York. It's been, yeah, it's been very interesting. Um, Djokovic is probably the favorite. Um, TM, this might be his best shot, especially with Federer and Nadal not playing. Um, On the women's side, I think it's wide open. I think, you know, Serena has been doing very well, but also Sloane Stevens and Maddie Keys and also Sophia Kennan, who is the – who is the uh, reigning Aussie Open champion? So it could be a good, could be a good um, week for the Americans. Yes, let's hope so. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, what are you looking forward to this long Labor Day Labor Day weekend? Real quick before we get out of here. Uh, one other thing. I know this is a free promotion from the NFL, but I'm sure they'll appreciate it. Uh, last night I turned to my Red Zone channel and they're replaying uh, the NFL Red Zone, the six plus hour marathon programs. Uh, from uh, every week from last season. I started watching that last night. Uh, if you're watching us currently on our YouTube page, I'm turning to NFL Red Zone now, and they are replaying week two from last season, watching Minnesota Green Bay on my television screen. So they'll be <laughs> replaying all weekend up until next Thursday season over between the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs in Houston, Texas. So I'll be watching a whole lot of that this weekend. Get my football fix. Even though we're in a different climate, there'll be no fans in the stands in some of these stadiums. Um, it's nice to have football back. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll we'll see if the NFL is pressing on, and let's let's hope that we don't get any snafus. Yeah. All right. You follow me at Keena McGee on Twitter at Keena underscore McGee on the Instagram once again. You can follow yours truly on Twitter and Instagram at SidKid80. Once again, at SidKid80. That's S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. S-I-D-K-I-D-8-0. You can read all of my articles on WeAreRegalRadio.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-E-G-A-L Radio.com. And you can listen to Sega City Sports along with all of our uh, other programming from We Are Regal Radio, including the Dean Davis Show. Now, that Davis Show, uh, you can go over to Anchor, which kicks you over to Spotify, SoundCloud, all the other podcast platforms, and we're on iHeartRadio. Please, please, please download the iHeartRadio app. Type in War on Anchor. That's W-A-R-R on Anchor, and you'll access 
our programming right there. Also, we're on YouTube. Just go to WARR on Anchor. And on the- It's actually WARR Media. WAR Media. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the correction. Mm -hmm. um, because you know, yeah. subscribe. If you look at look at our lovely faces and listen to this program, also to all the other programs. Hello. On all the all the programs on the We Are We Are Radio Radio family, it's right there. Subscribe and tell your friends. Yes, please do, especially during this long weekend. All right. So speaking of, have that very long, a safe long weekend. Don't get too crazy, folks. You know, wear your mask and wash your hands. So, unfortunately, the Illinois cases are up. So let's let's get back on track, folks. Yes. Till next time. This is Second City Sports with Lakina McGee. I am Sid the Kid. Till next time. Ama. <laughs>